he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. Our message today comes from a very popular passage of Scripture. It's a, script, a passage of Scripture that I have heard uh, all my life in the church. I think just about any guest preacher or missionary or evangelist, just about every assembly gathering, I hear the end of Matthew 28. The end of Matthew 28 is Jesus' final words to the disciples. It is uh, the words uh, by which he sends them out into the world. It's kind of the abbreviated moment of what happens after the resurrection that Matthew records. Some of the other Gospels have a considerably long telling of of what happens after the resurrection, whether it's Thomas saying, oh, I'm not going to believe until I see him, and then he sees him and he believes, or whether they're uh, going out fishing together and eating fish afterwards, and whatever it is, like uh, there is a whole lot that happens just before he ascends to heaven, but Matthew abbreviates it all in the message and in the mission that he sends to his disciples at the end of chapter 28. And I want to read that for you today. I want to say, I hope to say something a little fresh, a little new while writing this. I was like, it is so hard not to just repeat everything that I've heard over 40 years. But here we are, Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. This passage begins with, this is after the resurrection, Jesus has been raised from the dead. The the soldiers are wondering, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? How do we navigate this? And Jesus just appears to the disciples. Says they meet at the mountain where he's going to direct them. Or perhaps the mountain where he had directed them. Uh, Every indication is that this is very likely the same mount by which he gave the sermon earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. That we're to understand that what Jesus is about to say is the fulfillment of or is the continuation of obedience to God, which is to go and make disciples. They are coming to receive the final directive that Jesus has for those who are following God. And it says that it is just the 11 disciples. And so when I hear words like, but some doubted in this passage... I find myself saying, okay, I can't just brush this off as there's a large crowd and some people leave and some people don't. Some of his very closest disciples doubted. And I find myself asking, well, what are they doubting? What is this referencing? Maybe this is just Matthew's summation of of the Thomas story. But when I ask myself, what could they be doubting? They see Jesus in the flesh after they saw him hanging on a cross. After they know he died, he was in the tomb, but now they see him. What is there to doubt? But I think in some ways, everything. That this one was God. 
Like they knew when they followed him, he had a close relationship with the Father. He's doing some things that seems only God can do. And, uh, but now they see him again, and it seems that this one whom they knew was at least a prophet was most likely the Messiah, and then he died, and everything was shaken up, and now he's alive again. It seems this is absolutely the case. But what do we do with this? How do we make sense of, we believe there's one God, but yet here's Jesus in the flesh, alive, talking, breathing, interacting with us again. And so they're trying to navigate that, just as the church did to bring us to where we are today, where we can talk about a trinity. But I think they're starting to wonder, wait a minute, We know he was raised from the dead. He was dead. We wrapped him up in cloths. We put him in the tomb. But that stone has rolled away. Disciples said the angels came and told us he's raised from the dead. Can we believe our eyes? Is this real? It's like, have you ever seen one of those videos where um, someone is trying to prank somebody and they've got a twin but nobody knows it? And they go up to somebody and say, hey, nice to meet you. Hey, can you hold on to this for me or something? I'll be right back. And then they leave to the left. And the person continues walking in the mall or down the block or wherever they are. And then their twin comes by from the other direction. <laughs> and says, oh, thanks. Hey, thanks for holding that for me. And they're like, wait, what? What, what just happened? I, can't, I wonder if the disciples are looking at Jesus and saying, like, what just happened here? We know he's dead. How in the world is he in front of me? They're looking around. Is there a camera? Like, like they're like, what, what's going on here? What is happening? They can't believe their eyes. They're doubting. can If he was raised from the dead, then then it means he is the Messiah. It means he is the Son of God. It means God indeed plans to liberate us from all that is wrong in this world. But yet, the empire empire of Rome is still in charge. But yet, there's still sin in the world. What, what, What do we do with that? And so when Matthew 28 says, 11 gathered, doubted, I think what is happening is, They are trying to come to terms with how they understand God interacts among them. Their primary understanding of God was, well, you know, God is distant. God is away. We can't see Him. We can't interact with Him. Every now and again, there's a rare prophet who shows up. But uh, basically, God only intercedes and acts in the world when there's a great disaster or there's turmoil. You know, there's an earthquake or the sky's darkened or there's a plague or something like that happens. He only intercedes in rare cases. Sometimes it's a rare miracle, and it's a good thing. That's part of how they discern that Jesus was coming from the Father. But God usually is quite distant and only intercedes at rare moments to do drastic things. That's kind of how they understand God. And I think in some ways we still think that way today. God is primarily distant and he only interacts and intersects with our world when, uh, in drastic ways. Insurance companies still call extreme weather events acts of God and have clauses often to help get them out of taking care of those who have been affected by an act of God. In fact, every, and, and it seems that after every such event that happens in our world, there's always somebody with a microphone who's quick to call it an act of God or the will of God. It seems that whenever something unknown happens, we call it the will of God or an act of God or a miracle of God. And that is a way in which we still sometimes tend to think about our God. Generally distant, but every now and again shakes up the world. 
And Jesus says to the disciples who are thinking of God and have been thinking about God in that way, but now are trying to make sense of, wait a minute, God is found in this one? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so in understanding what, who is this God in the heavens and what is his desire, and how does he want to act in the world, Jesus is inviting them to look at his life. I think there's two primary ways I look at this passage. On the one hand, it's precisely what I just said. Everything we want to know about God is seen in this person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is, as the theologians say, the final revelation of God. God can reveal himself in any number of ways. Scripture often discloses ways in which he revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. Uh, 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 various ways he has, he has shown and, uh, and just kind of illuminated, hey, this is my will for the people. But we understand if we want to know the character of God, if we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus Christ because he became flesh in this one. It means if someone claims to be of God and is acting outside the character of Jesus, then it is not of God. Jesus is the fullness of how we understand our God to care about and act in our world. A common question that's been asked of me as a pastor, as someone who teaches other pastors, as um, someone who's been in ministry for a while, I get asked this from people inside the church and outside the church. They'll ask questions like, in the Old Testament, there were prophets who heard directly from God, and they would speak to the people the word of God. And, and so we have this kind of description of, hey, I've heard from God, and here's the word. And they, would just, they just seemed to have this direct line with God, and they'd, they'd speak it to the people. And the question is always this, why don't we have prophets like that anymore today? Why don't we have people who seem to have that direct line that they just speak to us about what God's will is for right now or for our life today? And I, and I say to you today, it's because, and this has been the testimony of the church from Jesus' resurrection and on, it is that if he is the final revelation of God, if he is the full disclosure of God's will for humanity, there is no need for new prophets. If you want to know what is God's word for today, it's found in Jesus he is the fulfillment. He is the full image. He, he embraces entirely what God's will and desire is for us in this world. And so when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it's that everything we see will be in him. And so a prophet in the church, in the New Testament, when they talk about gifts of prophecy, and there will be prophets among you, a prophet is not someone with a new word, a new direct line to God. A prophet is someone who directs us to the word of God made flesh, who speaks to us and invites us to experience the truth of Jesus in our life. The prophet is that who has been entrusted with the message of Jesus to share with the world. Those are the people who have been given the gift of prophecy. And so this is what the church commits to and testifies to in the life of those who are ordained into ministry, that they are to speak and proclaim the word of God. But they're not new prophets. If I or anybody else says, you know, I was praying today and God told me this, and you better do A, B, or C. And it seems to me that most of the time when people do that these days, it has to do with everyone's money. But if, somebody, if a pastor does that and says, I now have this new, unique, direct line 
to what God's will is for your life, there is a problem. Because the fullness of what God wants in our life has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth, what we do today, is found in the life of Jesus Christ. And this one, my other way of understanding this, is Jesus did not claim authority as we understand it. When he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, it changes how we understand authority. It means we now look to Jesus about how we're supposed to wield authority, how we're expected to act when we are given authority. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see he's the one who's washing his disciples' feet. He's feeding the poor. He's freeing people from the power of sin. He's freeing people from the power of law. He is is engaging with people and inviting everyone, no matter who they are, how poor they are, into the love and grace of Jesus. So often those in authority want people under them. They want servants, people to take care of them. To use maybe more modern day language, we want our followers. We want those people who who say, I'm subscribed to your way of thinking. That is the social media world. That uh, we just just know, hey, if only I can influence people, and the more people I can influence, the more power and authority my voice has in this world. Curiously, in the Gospel of Mark, we have Jesus, who after every miracle says to his disciples, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. I'm not just trying to gain an influence. I'm not just trying to gain followers. My time has not come. And often, it seems that we want more wealth, we want more influence, and Jesus just wanted to share all that with the least among him. And it seems that oftentimes in this world, once someone finds a voice, finds authority, finds a little bit of power, oftentimes it is, okay, how can I impose this on others? How can I create new regulations or rules for that? I'm always... One of the things that uh, I'm always eager to see at a general assembly, which I told you earlier I'm going to this week, the Church of the Nazarene has been around for over 100 years. We are starting to become and, and have become like firmly entrenched as a denomination, a million strong around the world, and we are uh, uh, continuing to grow. I remember when I first started ministry, having the centennial 100-year anniversary in our church. I'm eager to see at this assembly, what the Church of the Nazarene does as it continues to flesh out who we are. Will they be a church that says, okay, as we become more and more entrenched as a denomination, are they going to be one that just imposes new laws and regulations? Or are they going to be a church that invites us to more grace and to experience what Jesus wants to do for us? And so I want to say today, as I'm gone, pray for our church that we will always be about and never forget the very calling of the mission to be followers of Jesus and what that looks like in the hard areas of our world. I have found as a pastor, a membership class, the hardest part is always the part where I say, well, these are some of the rules and the regulations that our church has. This is kind of our, some of our convictions. It's always the least fun of it because it's like, yeah, we do this because we're trying to like, say who we are and distinguish who we are from others. But the point of who we are. It's supposed to be that the authority of Jesus is the authority to serve and love those whom God has put in our life 
And that, when we look at how Jesus lived, is precisely what authority means. When Jesus says all authority has been given to him, it's not a power move by which the disciples start to say, oh good, we're going to conquer the world by the sword and make them follow you. No, that's going to take a couple hundred years. They'll do that later. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, uh, but they understood that that is not the authority of Jesus. That's not what he intended. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he meant the authority given to Jesus, the authority to serve, to love, to invite, to experience the freedom found in the power of the Holy Spirit over our sin, over that which separates us from one another and from God, has been given to liberate, to free, and to empower you, to direct people to the love of God and the love of neighbor. This is what he means when he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. So he says, now go and make disciples. You're going to be on your way, and when you're going, I want you to guide people to what God wants to do in their life. Becoming a disciple means being willing to grow in the faith. And this is true for whether you're as young as Alex or as old as Methuselah. It doesn't matter uh, what your age is. You are called to be a disciple. And I want to say thank you to a church that says, hey, we want, to, we want to be engaged in some discipleship ways that whatever we can, whether it's Bruce leading a Sunday school class, the Yasuas open up their home whenever we have a small group book reading, people who are engaged in the conversation within those classes, within those small groups, or in personal conversations saying, hey, this is what God's been doing in my life. That is awesome. Thank you. Because it does indeed lift us up. But I want to say to you today that growing in discipleship happens in our personal life and in every connection that we have, in every workplace, in every school, in every place, wherever you are hanging out in retirement, you are a discipleship maker. And we are called as we go out to share what God has done in our life to grow in our faith. And that means we have to be willing to pray to God, to allow God to shape who we are going to be, but also to be engaged in the Word of God. I'm going to pause for a moment to talk about one of the ways I think we can be engaged in the Word of God and use this as a way to describe this. Every, about a couple of times every year, I've, I've, lately I've been reminding us what this is. and I want to walk through this. This is not the end all, be all, but it's more than just, oh, hey, look, it's that pastel insert again. <laughs> I just want to say that one of the things I like about this intersections thing is primarily the four questions underneath. Because whatever you do to read the scriptures is okay by me. Whether you decide, you know what, I do want to read the scripture four days out of the week using this model. That's fine. Some, some of us have said, hey, you know what, we have, we have a devotional book there out in the foyer that you can grab and you can take home, and I'll do that. Or we have, through different seasons, said, okay, here's a devotional book or a prayer book, and we've used that. Or perhaps you have another reads through the scripture kind of plan, and that's okay. But one of the things I like about this, I want to take a moment to talk about this so we don't forget when we see this every week. What is this for again? We have this as a way of inviting us to find out what God is doing and learn how to read Scripture. And these are Scriptures that are going to get read and talked about the next week in service. So that is a strategy we have purposefully. So if we read this together, we learn together as a church when we worship. 
But when we read Scripture to ask ourselves this simple question, like, for instance, tomorrow, if we read Psalm 13, to ask ourselves, what is this passage saying about God? That's that first question. Any Scripture we read, what is this passage saying about God? Is it saying He's forgiving? Is it saying He's meeting their needs? Is it saying He's disturbed or upset with them? Is it saying God uh, wants to uh, uh, forgive or uh, welcome or invite them to something? What is God doing here? And then to ask the second question, well, what does this say about us, about me, about humanity? What does this passage say about us? Are we being unfaithful? Are we being faithful? Are we kind of going our own way? What's happening? And oftentimes what happens in Scripture, because Scripture is really good, actually, at narrating what life is like, is those two are often at ends. God's will and what our will often in conflict. And I found in reading Scripture, if I can identify what God's will is and what, we're, what our will is, what we're doing, often I'll start to see, okay, here's the disconnect. But every now and then we find the, the, the Scripture where they're in harmony and we see God's plan and purpose lived out. But the third question each day to ask, well, what do I need to change because of what I've learned? What do I need to do? Because once we recognize, okay, there's a disconnect, there comes a moment where we're praying, we're saying, okay, I've read Scripture and maybe I'm still trying to understand this. And I understand that's, that happens in Scripture all the time. We read and say, well, I don't know what this means yet. But what do I need to change? If there's a disconnect between what God and people are doing, is there a disconnect in my life as well? Or what do I need to be about? And finally, that last question is, who do I need to share this truth with? Who do I need to say, okay, I've learned this is God's will. This is, this is how God's still working in my life. This scripture has helped me identify where there's a desire for my will to be joined with God's will. And this is where God is calling me. But also, that might be an influence or be a word of hope or encouragement to somebody else in my life. And all of a sudden, what is a very personal practice of I'm reading a passage of Scripture, whether it's this one or it's another one from another practice, and we've, we've identified this is what God's doing here. We are now asking, okay, God, who else needs to hear this? And we are embracing the call that Jesus made to the disciples. Go and make disciples, because what you have learned and received in me is good news for everyone. And so that is what this question does. And that's why there is a space underneath each passage that each day we might just write a little note if we want to. This is how I answer these four questions. And, and sometimes in helping to understand Scripture, we find the Scripture, oh, I don't understand what that means. But maybe that Friday, I'm looking at the intersections. I, those other three Scriptures were a little more clearer, and maybe that helps me understand that there is a common message, a thread, a way in which God wants me to live out my life this week. So Jesus says to us, go and make disciples because we have been fed and nurtured by the ministry and work of Jesus Christ. We as his disciples go out into a world. And so I would encourage you, whether it is this weekly handout or another method to say, I want to be about asking God, what do you need to do in my life and how do I need to share that in the life of those around me? And so he says to them when they go, you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That phrase, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, phrase by which we've come to understand our God, we call him the three in one. We understand that he is a relational God. 
that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are continually engaged in the work of God in this world, that who we understand we are being faithful to has been revealed and in flesh in Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit has been poured out in the church to unite us with the mission of Christ and the will of the Father. And, and, and in fact, I find myself thinking when uh, we, I hear passages like we read in Genesis about the image of God, so much ink has been spilled about what the image of God is supposed to be when it says you have been created in the image of God. So much thought the image of God was something we had, something we owned, something innate within us, whether it was our reason, whether it was our, our capacity to love, whether it, was, whether it was something in us that gave us the power to connect with God. The image of God had to be something in us was a long part of the theology of the church. But I think the image of God is simply that we are reflecting the relational nature of who God is, that we have been created for relationship with God and with each other. To reflect the image of God is to live our life in the same way that God has revealed himself to us, recognizing that we are made and built to be relational people in this world. God's activity is in His engagement with us to guide everyone to Jesus Christ, to love one another. You know, I I would love it if uh, somehow we started what we called acts of God. What wasn't always just referred to as the tragedies that happen in our world. But what if acts of God started being used to describe things like providing housing for the homeless, jobs for the migrants, companionship for the widows, a listening ear for the elderly, forgiveness for the incarcerated? Those are acts of God according to the life of Jesus Christ. They are reflective of the grace given and shown by Jesus Christ. And so in those moments when we say, I did something I never thought I'd do in my life, but it was a moment of grace in the life of another person, that is an act of God at work in us. That is precisely what Jesus has invited us to and called us to when he says, go and make disciples. And if we're looking for these kinds of acts, we're looking for God at work in these kinds of ways, then we'll find that our activity, our devotion to God, our obedience to God, isn't motivated by fear of what God might do if we didn't do this, but more by a desire to do what the Father has asked of us just because we know he loves us and we love him. Uh, This week I asked Eric a question, just asked him a couple days ago. I said, hey, Eric, this is my oldest son, back from college. He just finished his third year. So this means he has, he has gotten way accustomed to living his life by his, on his terms, uh, who he is, and he makes decisions for, for himself, and he, he's accustomed to that. And he's, he's kind of grown into that. And so I said to him, I said, hey, Eric, it is supposed to rain for the next five days. Looking at the calendar, it's going to be wet for the next few days. At the end of this week, I'm flying out to Indianapolis, and I'm going to be gone for a week. And, all, and what I'm thinking of right now is our lawn is finally going to get all this great rain, and it's going to grow. And the last thing that I want the day I come back, because I want to help out at Cape Family Fun Day, is have to mow the lawn. <laughs> can you, on whatever dry day we have, can you mow the lawn for me? And I'm fully expecting him to go, oh, man, what, really, please? And the first thing he says to me, he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, whoa. 
Okay, whoo, that was easy. That was great. That was wonderful. Thank you. He takes after his mom. And so <laughs> he, he's awesome. He's awesome. I would I would put when I was his age, I put up way more of a fit. So like he, I was like, that is great. And that is just because in that moment, he's like, okay, you need this. I'm going to be obedient to that. Thank you for that. Jesus knows he's going to be away. And his Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the church. He says, you're going to go and make disciples. You're going to teach them to obey everything that we do. Why? Because there is a love for God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is a, and there is a claim put on your life. It has nothing to do with, oh no, what's God going to do if I don't do this? I know, I know, we've heard that for a long time. But I think our obedience is motivated by the factor of God has loved and cared for us and is inviting us into a new way of life. He says, teach them to obey and that this obedience becomes about honoring the God who is loved and blessed and cared for us and taking care of us. And so he says, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, which we just celebrated last week for Pentecost, is the presence of the Holy Spirit to help conform our life to the way Jesus showed and to help know that we are absolutely freed to live for God. That sin doesn't have to have the strength and the power that it often wields in this world. Trinity Sunday is not a day just to reinforce a particular doctrinal position. And it is the most important one in the church. But as a day in which we remember that our faith, just like our God, takes bodily shape, is exercised best with our bodies engaged in faithfulness, in service, in work, to love one another. And that the Holy Spirit is constantly at work today Moving and shaping us, not just towards some idea, not just towards some ideal, not just towards some mystical, spiritual kind of thought, but moving us towards the very God revealed in Jesus Christ, who very concretely showed that our faith is lived out in service to one another, inviting us to God, but also living graciously and lovingly, no matter what, even if it leads to the cross. And Jesus says to a church who has gathered and been nurtured by him, this is your mission. Go and make disciples for this purpose. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the mission your son Jesus Christ has given for us. And we follow him. Because your Holy Spirit has enabled us and empowered us, has offered forgiveness and has offered freedom. And Lord, we are praying for your assistance and your help in this world, in this life. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, to be obedient to you and your will, and to find that indeed there is great authority in yielding ourselves to your plan and to the love that you have called us to for a neighbor. Thank you again. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.